Good morning, church, and welcome. I hope we are looking forward to Memorial Day tomorrow. Uh, why not? <laughs> uh, America is uh, one of the hardest working countries in this world, and it is said the average worker just has a week off. So tomorrow, if you happen to have a day off, I know some people will still be working, but if you are one of the privileged few to have a day off, uh, just have fun, feast, and have fellowship with family and friends. Also, not forgetting the significance of the day. We want to thank God for our veterans who paid a heavy price so that the current generation of the citizens that live here can live in freedom and in peace. Amen. So tomorrow, during your time of barbecue and feasting and what have you, do say a word of prayer. And remember them in solemnity. Amen. Let's pray and hear the word of God. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. We thank you that this morning we will be transformed by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. On this note, too, let me welcome you all to Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. Amen. And it commemorates the birth of the church. And it also came to fulfill the age-long prophecy of Joel, in chapter 2, verse 28, where the Bible says that I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. And thank God that that is no longer a promise. It is a reality. Amen, especially for believers who are in Christ. So it's a great day to rejoice as well. Amen. We are on part 79 of our series on the book of John, the Lordship of Christ. So please turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 16 to 33. Today is quite lengthy, so I'm just going to read it. John chapter 16, verse 16 to 33. So today we will wrap up chapter 16 and I read a little while and you will not see me and again in a little while you will see me because I go to the father then some of his disciples said among themselves what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I go to the father They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while, we do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born to the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take from you. 23. And in that day you will ask me nothing, for most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. 
These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. <clears throat> Excuse me. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own, and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Amen. This morning I'm ministering under the sub-theme, Class in Recess. Class in Recess. Now, I believe that recess is a familiar term among our um, school curriculum or our education circle. Anytime when a class is in recess, it doesn't mean it's the end of a class. It means that the class can go on break after a period of intensive studying and then they will regroup again to conclude. When Jesus, what Jesus was doing now, this was his last series of teachings to his disciples and from there, he was going to die on the cross. So he was just going to take a recess for a period of days, die, and then resurrect again. And that's why I call this class in recess. And from chapter 13, we've dealt with it up to chapter 16. We realized that Jesus took his students to classroom and he schooled them on things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He, he, he shared so many Things like the servant leadership about if you want to be a leader, you lead not by ruling, but you lead by serving. Things like love, things like the Holy Spirit. He spent time talking about so many things that we have covered uh, in, the, in the past few weeks. So now Jesus was now winding up on a myriad of subjects he has shared with them and the conversations that he had touched on with his disciples. But in this story or this passage we just read, it, 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 it helps for me to really capture the heart of Jesus in this moment. I found out that Jesus was not really brooding and perhaps thinking so much about the gruesome death, the shameless death that awaited him. You know, the death that he was going to go through and what he was going to experience was very inhumane. It was very torturous. It was a shameful death. It was a death befitting for the worst of hardened criminals in his society of the day. And this was how he was going to be treated. But Jesus valued conversation. He valued relationship. He rather spent more time talking to his disciples, pouring out his heart, teaching them things concerning his ways, which, are the, which is the kingdom of God. And he didn't brood over death. 
It really lets me know that Jesus is really vested in a relationship and he's vested in fellowship with the brethren. And it really speaks to me about Christ mirroring God's love. You know, the Bible says that whilst we were yet sinners, God commended his love. Other versions says that God demonstrated his love by sending his son Jesus. And you can see that love here. You see the love that Jesus had for his disciples, took his time to patiently teach them. And this was a man who was just about to face the, the gruesome penalty of death in less than 24 hours. Yet Jesus saw it fit and he saw it prudent to take them to the classroom of the Spirit and begin to educate them about the ways of God, begin to tell them about things that will shift their mindset and begin to prepare them to hand over the baton so that he will go to his father, so that his disciples will be fit to do the work of the kingdom. That was the heart of Jesus. It speaks so much about relationship. It speaks so much about vested fellowship. Hence, as we are in this world now, as the Holy Spirit has been poured to us, uh, which we now commemorate as Pentecost Sunday, it, it talks to us again about the heart of the Father that, God really wants to establish a relationship with us, an unbroken one. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. So this really speaks to us about the heart of Christ in this story. Christ values relationship. And for this reason, we have to thank God for Pentecost Sunday. Because Pentecost Sunday is the outpour of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to us to continue this relationship so that it will be unbroken, it will be unabated, so that we can still be in the know of the things of God, of the kingdom of God, of the ways of God, and also understanding who Christ is to us. That is why the Holy Spirit has been sent to us. Now, in this scripture that we just read, there are some salient points worth noting, about five of them. Jesus is now closing up um, his class. And now he's going to leave them with five important points. And then he goes on the cross. He will be in recess. It's not really over. Because the Bible lets us know that when Christ resurrected, he spent another 40 days on this earth, this time teaching them about more things about the kingdom of God, more things about the scripture, and pointing to things that refer to him in the Bible. But for now, he's going to leave them with five things. And I really want us to go through these five things. Amen. Now, when we read verses 16 to 22, Jesus used the phrase, you, won't, you will not see me in a while. And that, that statement really bothered and troubled his disciples. Because his disciples for three years, they had worked with this man who had become their teacher, their friend, their guide, their mentor, their big brother. He was their everything. And now, for the first time in three years, Jesus is saying that you guys are not going to see me in a while. It began to trouble them. These are men who had occupations. They left their occupations to come and follow Jesus. And also, mind you, they were also ministering under the harsh climate of Judaism, and they were under the skeptic view of many especially the religious leaders. So, somewhere, somehow, when they worked with Jesus, they felt a bit sheltered from some of these harsh realities. And now, for the first time, Jesus is going to leave them. And Jesus said, you are not going to see me in a while. 
it began to bother them. This was a statement of trouble for them. And when Jesus was talking about that, he was talking about the sinner's death that awaited him. He was going to take on the whole sins of the world, die on the cross, and become the sacrificial lamb that will atone for the sins of the world. And in the process of doing that, he has to be not seen. He has to go to death. He has to face hell. He, he has to do everything possible to make sure that the believer's salvation is secured. To make sure that we can come to a place where we can experience the gift of righteousness at the expense of his death. And Jesus saying that you will not see me in a while. But he promised that you will see me again. Which was talking of his resurrection. And he compared whatever he was going to go through. His crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. He compared it to a woman who is in labor. When a woman is in labor, she experiences anguish. And Jesus says that when the birth pangs are kicking in, the woman experiences anguish. But once a human comes out, she experiences joy, forgetting about the anguish. And Jesus was telling them that my death, my burial, as a result of my crucifixion will bring you so much sorrow, but when you see me again at my appearing, that is when I have resurrected and I'm now in my glory, you will come to a place of joy forgetting about what I have experienced. So Jesus was encouraging them that I'm going to go and I have to go for a purpose, but we will rejoice at his appearing when he resurrects. And as a Christian, when you read this today, we can also take solace in this, that one day Christ is going to appear and when he appears, it is going to be the submission of all joy. I don't know what sort of sadness, what sort of sorrow that you might be experiencing here on this earth. I hereby encourage you that one day when Jesus Christ appears again, that is when we are going to experience real joy. So be encouraged and be comforted in this work of faith that we have taken upon ourselves. The second thing that Jesus left them with was with prayer. And when you read verses 23 to 24 and 26 to 27, Jesus says, in that day, you will ask me nothing. But you will go to my Father in my name. And whatever you desire, it shall be answered. Powerful. You see, up till then, the disciples knew how to pray. But I think their ministry of prayer was very limited. Because when you read verses 26 to 27, Jesus prayed for his people. Because they didn't understand all the dynamics of prayer. And I also believe that one of the reasons why they also couldn't have that boldness was maybe they didn't feel God loved them. And that is why Jesus says, when I leave, you will now begin to understand that God loves you because you love me. And when you pray, believe in, asking anything in my name, 
it shall be granted you that your joy will be made full. So these disciples knew how to pray. Jesus had taught them how to pray. It's on record. But I don't believe that they had the full dynamics, understood the full dynamics of prayer. And Jesus was saying that, now when I go in that day, and what is that day? That day is today. That day is now. In the era that we live, Jesus was talking about that day. He said, now when that day comes, you guys will know how to pray because you will pray to God my Father in my name and whatever be your request, it shall be answered. Now, Jesus had to use his name now because Jesus was predicting and prophesying that a time will come, my name will be exalted as a result of my crucifixion my burial, my death, and my resurrection. And when my name is exalted, my name will be above every other name that every living thing on earth, under the earth, and in heaven will bow down to that name. That is how exalted my name will be. And it will be prudent on your part that when you are praying to God, my Father, you use my name. But until then, Jesus' name hadn't been exalted to the place where every living creature in heaven, every living creature on earth, every living creature under the earth, and every tongue will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. That had not yet happened. But Jesus was saying that a time is coming. And thank God that we are living in the fulfillment of that prophecy. That now we can pray to God our Father in the name of Jesus, believing that we have received. And the Bible lets us know that God will answer our prayers, that our joy will be made full. Thank God for prayer. And I like that Jesus linked fullness of joy with prayer. So are you in a place whereby you are experiencing dark days? Are you experiencing depression? Are you experiencing sadness? Are you experiencing anything of any sorts that seems to be of discomfort and misery to you? Why don't you try prayer? You have tried the rest, now try the best. And the best that God has to offer is prayer. Pray to God the Father in the name of His Son. That has now been that name that has been exalted above every other name that every living thing in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bow, that every living thing's tongue in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will confess that Jesus is Lord. Use that name to pray. And why do we have such boldness and audacity now to come to the presence of the Lord and pray? Because those days, prayers were reserved for high priests. It was reserved for certain people who could really go into the courts of the Lord and intercede. Not everybody could intercede those days. Everybody who knew how to pray and, and do certain things. But when it comes to certain crucial matters, you will leave them to the priests, you will leave them to the prophets, you will leave them to special intermediaries who will stand on your behalf. But Jesus Christ is saying that we are living in this era and we thank God for Pentecost. We are living in this era whereby we don't need a pastor, an assistant pastor, an elder, an intermediary, a spokesperson. We can all go to the throne of God boldly and pray. And when we pray, we should be assured that we will receive 
answers to prayer. And I love what Jesus says. We will receive answers to prayer that our joy will be made full. I pray that may you come to a place where your joy will be made full this year. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of depression, in the midst of sorrow, may you come to a place whereby you will experience fullness of joy. Why? Because you will come to a place where you will pray to God our Father in the name of Jesus and you shall experience answers to prayer. And let me tell you why God wants to answer your prayer. God will want to answer your prayer not because you are spiritual. God will want to answer your prayer not because you always come to church. And it's good to come to church. It's good to be a Christian. It's good to be spiritual. God will always answer your prayer because he loves you. And that's the catch. Because these disciples unto them, were they even fully developed? Were they fully fledged? These were people who were going to betray Jesus in a couple of hours. And yet Jesus is assuring them that my father will answer your prayer of a certainty because he loves you. So be encouraged. God loves you. And that should serve as impetus and much boldness to come to the presence of the Lord. Knowing that when you pray, he answers. Pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. And believe that God loves you. And as Jesus says, when you do that, God will answer your prayer and your joy will be made full. I pray that may we come to a place where our joy will be made full. And Jesus wants us to develop a lifestyle of prayer. That's why when you read John chapter 14, he talked about prayer. Chapter 15, he talks about prayer. Chapter 16, he talks about prayer. And then when we do chapter 17, he exhibited to his disciples and to us who read the Bible that he is a man of prayer. So for us to experience the best of what God has to offer to us, prayer is one of the keys. Develop a vibrant, consistent lifestyle of prayer. And sometimes we've we've come to a place where prayer has been so mistaught and misguided. Sometimes it's not too much about the form and the theatrics. It's about humility of heart, recognizing who God is, and then praying to God your Father in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that one of these days we are going to talk on prayer, especially in in the spirit of our theme, which has to do with pursuing Christ. You can't pursue Christ without prayer. You can't pursue Christ without having a lifestyle of prayer. But most importantly, you can't pursue Christ. If you don't know how to pray right, you have to learn how to pray right. Amen. The third thing that Jesus left with his disciples is in verses 25 and then 29 to 30. Jesus said, no more parables. The era of parables will come to an end. He said, in that day, a time is coming, I will not speak in figurative language. I won't speak to you in word pictures. I won't speak to you with illustrations. I will declare to you plainly about the Father. 
Hence, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to decode every parable, every illustration, every word picture, every figurative expression about God and Christ so that we will know God plainly. And that's why from the epistles, from Romans to Jude, there are no parables because that scripture was fulfilled. Jesus didn't have to speak in parables again because he is now come in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit who will be the teacher, who is an anointing that will lead us and guide us into all truth. Thank God, no more parables. No more figurative speeches. Now, the Holy Spirit will speak to us plainly. He will declare to us about God plainly. He will declare to us about Christ plainly. He will declare to us about things of the Spirit plainly. He will declare to us about the kingdom of God plainly. When Jesus was deciding to put his classroom in recess and then go to the cross, one of the stand, outstanding things he said, which is binding, is that there will be no more parables. No more will a prophet or will somebody of my similitude speak to you in a figurative speech. It will be declared to you plainly. And thank God for the Holy Spirit. Today, when you take the Bible to read, it has been declared to us plainly. The Bible is not a parable. The Bible is not a figurative speech. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit's ability and in him aiding us to understand the scripture and bring revelation and shine light upon the words of the scriptures. The word is now plain. It's plain to us. Today, knowing God is not a mystery. Knowing Christ is not a mystery. Knowing the will of God is not a mystery. Knowing the ways of God is not a mystery. It has been declared plainly. Hence the arrival of the Holy Spirit. That is why we have every cause to thank God for the Pentecost experience. Because on that day when the Holy Spirit came, indeed he came for our advantage. It has been declared plainly. And like I said last week, the teacher responsible for educating us in the things of God the teacher responsible for educating us about who God is, that we will come to a place where God will no longer become a mystery. The teacher responsible for explaining to us the humanity and the divinity of Christ. The teacher responsible for educating to us about the kingdom of God, the way of life. The teacher responsible for educating us about things of the Spirit, pneumaticos, the fruits of the Spirit, the gift of the is the Holy Spirit. It has been declared plainly. Jesus said, as I'm going, no more parables. I say to you, you will not see me in a while because it is for your advantage. You will see me again and you will be happy. But the reason why I had to be out of you, out of sin, is because I am working things to your advantage. I am working things for your salvation. 
I am working things so that you will come to a place whereby righteousness will become a gift. Salvation will become a gift. The Holy Spirit will become a gift. Wisdom will become a gift. Redemption will become a gift. Sanctification will become a gift. You will not have to see me and it will birth in you sorrow. But when you see me again, you will have joy. And even though your joy may be peripheral, what I may have done will outweigh the sorrow that you experienced because I was not with you. Jesus is saying that prayer. The issue of prayer and answer prayers. As I'm going to my father to do business on behalf of this world, whenever you pray, know that my father will answer the prayer, not because of what you have done, but because my father loves you. Someone needs to hear this. You have to revive your prayer life again because God loves you. And then the third thing that Jesus is saying is that no more parables. I'm not going to speak to you with a creative speech. I'm not going to speak to you in word pictures. I'm not going to speak with illustrations, but I'm going to declare things to you plainly, as plain as light. Hence, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then from verses 31 to 32, the fourth thing Jesus talked about is his betrayal. Jesus knew he would be betrayed by his most trusted associates. And his most trusted associates were the disciples. Jesus did not really care too much about the religious leaders who were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. He did not really care too much about that. He did not care so much about the majority of the Jewish audience because majority of the Jewish audience still saw him as a polarizing figure. That's his friends. People he has been with. People he has worked with for three years. People that he has shared his heart out. Spoke to them about his passion. They were going to betray him. But I like something about Jesus. You know, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he didn't resurrect with a grudge. Everybody betrayed him except John the Beloved. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't rise, resurrect with a grudge. He rather went about restoring each and every one of the disciples. And restoring means to mend a broken piece. Restoring means to set things that are out of line. Jesus came to set people who were out of line, restore people who were broken before he went back to his father at the event of ascension. But he knew, you guys were going to betray me. It's a lesson he gave to them before he went on recess. You guys are going to betray me. But I don't have beef with you. I don't have a grudge with you. I still love you anyway. And Jesus was saying this to let them know that I am not just flesh and blood. I am more than flesh and blood. I am the God who declares the end from the beginning. The God that said that in Isaiah 46.10 is the one standing there in plain flesh. 
I declare the end from the beginning. I am just like God. I share the same essence, the same nature of God. I am God, the second person of the Trinity. My name is Jesus. I know that you will betray me. But it's fine. Because I am who declares the end from the beginning. And I love that when Jesus resurrected, no grudge, he rather restored people. It's a big lesson. In fact, when I was thinking about this point, it took me back to many years ago, a movie I watched called Ghost. I don't know how many of you remember that movie. But that was a very popular movie, I think, by Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. And this guy was killed by some robbers or some vandals. And then for some strange reason, he, he came back in the form of a ghost. And when he came back in the form of a ghost, he hunted everybody that, that, that plotted evil against him. That's not Christ. Christ is not coming as ghost. And I remember I used to like that movie because I was so happy that the bad guys got their revenge. I'm like, yeah, kill them, do it to them, hit them one more. I was just so happy. I mean, if, if they had painted ghosts like Jesus, I wouldn't have liked the movie at all. I wouldn't have liked, I would have even threw that movie in the bed. I was so happy. Get them. Get Look, it was evil. He came back and he dealt with all the evil people and all the vandals. But those who were good to him, he was also good to them. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus is not like ghosts. He could have been like ghosts. But when Jesus resurrected, he had no grudge. You see, this movie, the guy, when he was killed and when he became a ghost, he had a grudge. He had a grudge against those that took his life. And Jesus, can you imagine? 100% divinity, 100% humanity. He should have gone and troubled the Roman soldiers. He didn't even bother to, to, to mind them. He rather focused on his loved ones and restored people who were shaky in their faith, gave them a mission, and then left to his father. Can I learn something about that? So this speaks to me that when we sleep and when we wake up, let's let every grudge go. Because when Jesus went to the grave, he could have gone with a grudge that these people have forsaken me and betrayed me, but he didn't. Amen. The last thing that Jesus left with them was his peace. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Because you have to know that in me is peace, but in the world there is tribulation. Jesus was making a comparison between what he offers and what the world offers. Let me tell you, the world has nothing to offer. You think the world has something to offer? Behind the mansions, behind everything is tribulation. But Jesus says that in me, there is peace. If you want peace, the peace that passes all understanding. I present to you the person behind the peace whose name is Jesus. Peace is our inheritance. Peace is a gift. Jesus came to offer us peace. And I believe that from the conversations and discourses Jesus had with his disciples in chapters 13 to 16, paints to us the accurate picture of the heart of Jesus and his passion towards those who worship him in spirit and truth, which includes us who are here this morning. 
So please, as we have taken time to heed to the divine instructions entailed in all these chapters, it is much more imperative that we do well to obey and to walk in it. That in itself is also pursuing Christ. So Christ presented to us five important things before he went to the cross. He spoke of the expense at which we will experience salvation and every blessing associated with salvation. It had to do with not being seen for a while, which will produce great sorrow in the hearts of the disciples. Number two, he presented to them the issue of prayer and answer prayers. Today, I want to encourage you that if you haven't prayed, if you need a spark in your prayer life, pray knowing that God loves you. That is what is important. God doesn't hate you. You may have run far from God, but he doesn't hate you. He loves you. If you've made Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, because you love Christ, he loves you. Go back to the altar of prayer. The third thing, no more parables, no more figurative speeches, no more word pictures, no more illustrations, because now we have been given the Holy Spirit who is a gift, who will declare all things to us plainly. Jesus spoke of his betrayal, which meant that he is divine. He wanted to remind them that irrespective of how you deal with me, Know that I am divine. I am the God who declares the end from the beginning. And the fifth thing is that is peace, which is a gift, which is an inheritance. Receive peace in whatever you are doing. Experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. Experience that peace because that peace has been given to us freely. In this world of tribulation and uncertainty, I pray that may you walk in great peace. Experience great peace. May peace be your portion. And this is what Jesus has left with us. And please, let's do well to heed to whatever Jesus has said and has spoken to us through the scriptures from chapters 13 to 16. And I believe our work with Christ will be enhanced as we do well to obey his instructions. Lift up your hands and say, Lord, I will obey. I will obey. Thank you, Lord. We have received your word. We've received your word this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We've received your word. We will obey. We will mix your word with faith in our hearts that it will profit us indeed. It will profit us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.